On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Jerusalem gets almost as much rain every year as Tulsa, but it gets its rain in five months, and then it has no rain for seven months. So by the time they get to October 1, they are desperately needing rain. Dr. Raymond Brown says, if you're going to understand this passage we've just shared, you need to understand the Feast of Tabernacles. That right at the end of September, beginning of October, the Jews came to Jerusalem and for seven consecutive days had a procession from the Temple Mount down to the Pool of Siloam, holding aloft a beautiful gold pitcher. This pitcher was filled from the pool and the procession made its way back up Mount Moriah, singing as they went to hand the pitcher over to the priest who poured out the water onto some of the driest soil and prayers were offered for more rain. Oh God, please, more rain. This occurred at that festival when suddenly Jesus cried out. Here the verb is important. Because John has already used this verb in telling you about the one who was baptizing down at the Jordan River. That John cried out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And that verb came from the old Septuagint, the Greek rendering of the Hebrew scriptures, in the words of Isaiah. To a people defeated, devastated in Babylon. Behold a voice crying out. In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. And as that prophet had cried out and John had cried out, now Jesus cries out, Let anyone who is thirsty come. Three weeks ago I was reading a part of the New York Times while we were on vacation. There was an article there that caught my attention about experiments conducted on causes to which people will give money? Uh, do they give more to specific persons and very specific causes or to human need in general? I think you can guess the conclusion they've reached. In one such experiment, they ask a large group of people, would you be willing to give $5 to help Dokia? And they carefully told who Dokia was. A little girl living in Africa. Uh, her family infected with AIDS, uh, living among these mosquitoes that bring malaria and other uh, mosquito-borne illnesses, not enough food, suffering from malnutrition. In a similar campaign to the same size group of people with the same ability to give, they told the plight of 21 million children in Africa, all of whom have similar needs five times as much money given to Dokia as given to the 21 million. And this article said, can you remember 
20 years ago when a little girl named Jessica McClure fell down a well. This whole nation centered on that little girl in that well every time you turned on a radio or television or picked up the newspaper until she was rescued. It was all about Jessica. Three weeks ago, while Gail and I were abroad on BBC News early one morning, we were told that a little girl named Madeline had been abducted from her family's villa down in, in, in Portugal. This was a doctor's family. They had this little girl, Madeline, who would be four the next week. They had twins two years of age. They had gone south to Portugal to get away from the cold, damp rain of Scotland uh, in early May. The mother and father had put all three children to bed in the hotel room. All had gone to sleep. They had locked the door and gone down to the restaurant to eat. Uh, the maps they put on television later showed that they were a good hundred yards away, but in the same complex. But when they came back from dinner, little Madeline was gone. And she became the focus of BBC News. Every morning when we woke and turned on the television to see what was going on in the world, it was all about little Madeline. They shortened it to Maddie. Everybody was talking about Maddie. What has happened to Maddie? Who got her? Is she still alive? And then when we would get home in the late evening, back to our room, turn on television, all was about Maddie. The next Sunday, the English football teams, soccer, were wearing jerseys that said Madeline across their chest. And people started sending in money for a reward. First $100,000, then half a million, then two million, then five million by the time we left had been pledged to anyone who would furnish information that would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons who had taken little Madeline. I heard on the news just yesterday, they have not found her yet and no arrest has been made. But I can tell you that England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland were focused on nothing else but little Madeline. God sent his son into the world to say that every Dokia is important, every Jessica McClure is important, every little Madeline's loss or disappearance breaks the heart of God. But God knows the name of the other 21 million and cares about each and every one of them just as much. The thirsty ones, those who know they have a need, let them come. Second, he says, let them come to me. Any one of you who is thirsty, he said, come to me and drink. When Gail and I take a vacation, we do not rest on our vacations. Before we left, Gail had been searching the computer for weeks, putting down all the things that she hoped we could see. And several times, she and I reprioritized the list to try to get in as many of these things as we possibly could. Uh, that last week in London, we were running from early morning into the nighttime. We were both exhausted by the time we'd get to the end of the day. Late one afternoon, we had just completed our visit to the Museum of London. Now, the British Museum, we went to also, and it's magnificent. Many of you have been there, I'm sure. Six million. Six million things exhibited at the, at the British Museum. 
But the Museum of London is also very interesting, and it's specifically about that great city. I didn't realize that 400 years ago, London was the largest city in the world. As we went through that museum that afternoon, hearing, seeing some of the things that had changed the history of that city, we heard about the great plague, the Black Death that had come to London. We read about the great fire that destroyed 75% of the largest city in the world. And every drawing we saw of any of those great catastrophes, St. Paul's Cathedral was in the middle of the painting. You may remember St. Paul's Cathedral because Prince Charles and Diana were married there. You may remember St. Paul's because Winston Churchill's funeral service was held there. But people have been going to St. Paul's for more than 500 years. So late that afternoon, though, Gail and I were tired, and we had looked on our little map to see which bus or which underground might be best to get back to the hotel. I said, could you walk a little bit farther? And she said she thought so. And I said, then let's walk down Aldersgate Street to St. Paul's. Aldersgate Street, the little building where John Wesley had his heart strangely warm 275 years ago, is no longer there. The street is there, bigger buildings there now, but there is a plaque. And this plaque describes Charles's experience. It was Charles who had his heart strangely warmed, and it was three days later in the evening that John Wesley had his heart strangely warmed, and these two would play a major role in changing the religious landscape of the British Isles. It was amazing what they accomplished after this Holy Spirit of God breathed into them. From this plaque, we took a picture of it, we walked on down Aldersgate Street until we came to St. Paul's. Um, we walked into St. Paul's. It was almost time for the 5 o'clock evensong service. We sat down right near the front, and a man came over and said, Would you like to sit in the choir? Uh, and we said, well, Yes, we'd love to sit in the choir. And so all who came to worship and wanted to could sit in the choir. There were only 50 of us probably. And then 30 little boys came in right at 5 o'clock and sang the service with clergy, of course. But Gail and I sat there for almost 30 minutes before the service began, and I looked around this magnificent place. Can you imagine how many prayers have been offered in 500 years? How many disappointed moms and dads? How many people with a sick child? A father who's lost a wife in childbirth when that happens so frequently? or a young mother who's lost her husband and father to her children because one more 30 years, 50 years, 100 years war is being fought? How many people have been at St. Paul's praying? Not just the big times when there's a wedding or a big time when somebody famous has a funeral, but the people who go day after day. John Wesley went that afternoon before the all-important experience that night. At 5 o'clock, he sat in St. Paul's Church 275 years ago, and the little boys who were singing then sang, De profundis, out of the depths we cry unto thee, O Lord, Lord, hear our cries. 
Let thy voice be attentive to our supplications. If thou, Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. We wait for thee. More than watchmen waiting for the morning, we wait for thee. Come to me and drink, he said. Number three, the Holy Spirit had not yet come. And every scholar I read this week said, no, no, that's not really what John means. John knows the Holy Spirit has been as long as God has been. God and God's Spirit are one and the same. In fact, John himself has said that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him. And it was announced, this is my beloved son. John is not denying that there was a Holy Spirit before Pentecost. But John is saying the Holy Spirit was redefined by the death, resurrection, and ascension, the glorification of our Lord. That as Jesus put a face on God, he also put a face on the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mark Rawls is our United Methodist preacher over in Concord, North Carolina, and has recently written in Christian Century about reading Calvin Trillin's About Mary. Uh, I've been a longtime reader of the New Yorker magazine myself, and Calvin Trillin is one of my favorite writers, and I read his account about Mary after Mary died. Calvin Trillin has written about Mary for 35, 40 years. Uh, he, he's written wonderful things. It's, it, they're not flowery. They're not gushy kinds of things, just little insights into what Mary was doing, what Mary was saying, who Mary was. I remember one time when Mary was a volunteer in a camping program of children, all of whom were terminally ill. And one little girl who had been horribly disabled all of her life was now very near death. And Mary was reading her mail to her that came, had come to camp. And her parents had written to her, if God had let us choose from all the babies of the world, we would have chosen you. And Calvin Trillin wrote about that in the New Yorker magazine. Doesn't every child need to hear that? He said, doesn't every child need to hear what my Mary heard when she read the letter to that child? Well, the book is about Mary and Calvin Trillin's many memories of her. But Mark was saying in his article in the Christian Century, it simply proves that Calvin Trillin was more mindful than most of us husbands. He was mindful of Mary. What was she doing? What was she saying? What was she thinking? What was she feeling all those years? And then he said, wouldn't every woman like to have a husband who's so mindful and doesn't every person need the one God who is truly mindful? That God we know is mindful because of Jesus Christ our Lord and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Number four. Number four, I underlined the first words up there in the first verse. It's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's really talking about you and me as well. On the last day, the great day, it says. Dr. Rudolf Bultmann in his commentary in this passage says that God in Christ meet you at a significant crossroad in your life and offers you a different way of doing things. 
But if you do not respond, that moment will go. There comes the last day, a time for choosing. Mark Rawls in another article in Christian Century wrote about studying in, in Bonn, Germany. He was a graduate student. He said he got very homesick after a while. And when class was over, he got tired of working in the library. He would go out onto the streets of Bonn. And there was one particular fellow who sang on one particular corner, guitar case open, hoping people would drop in a Deutsche Mark or two. And he said this fellow, toothless, homeless, thin, would sing out his heart day after day. And he said eventually he'd draw a crowd late afternoon as people started home from work or school. It would be a group of us standing around. This man who sang about home, whom we knew, had no home. The Germans have a word for that. It's called Sansucht. That means homesick. One is homesick. The German theologians for 300 years have used this word, Sansucht, that every person is homesick until he or she finds the way home to the one who created and so loved that he sent his son, Jesus. Mark writes about the little boy scout who disappeared from a scout camp two months ago. You remember that? Just back in March. Uh, a young scout disappeared from the camp. They found no signs of a foul play of any kind. They started interviewing the boys. Who had seen him last? What was he doing? Where did he seem to be going? No one had seen him walk away, but he was gone from the camp. And they spent the next three days searching for him, night and day. It was still cold. It was wet in North Carolina, and they were worried about him. Mark says this little boy was in his mother and father's church. They knew him well. Well, after three days, the little boy was found. Uh, exhausted, tired, hungry, but otherwise fine. And when he got home again, his daddy said, how did you manage to wander off from the camp? And he said, he didn't wander off. And he said, where were you going? He said, I was trying to find a highway. And what were you going to do then? And he said, I was going to try to catch a ride to Greensboro. And when I said, why? He said, because I was homesick. And the Holy Spirit says, come home. Come 